This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the controversy over sex education in Illinois schools, sales taxes, a possible teacher shortage in Illinois schools, the Safety Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act. And we'll get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. Listen to all our podcasts at americastalking.com. I'm Kevin Bessler. If you're tired of the divisive rhetoric in our country today, then America's Talking Network is for you. America's Talking Network is a new podcast hub where you can find civil conversations. What does America need to be saved from? The birth of my son is the birth of this channel because when he was born, it completely changed the way I think about the world. Find out what's happening in our country. And of course, everyone's prices are going up around the country. If you've been to the grocery store, you've seen it. If you've made a budget, you probably had to increase your monthly allowance for a lot of different things and find out what's happening right here in our backyard of illinois the price you pay at the pump wherever you're buying your gasoline in illinois is all inclusive of the taxes that are built into this thing that sort of explains why illinois average is significantly higher than the national average the only agenda that america's talking network has is to get america talking again go to americastalking.com to check out all of our podcasts once again that's americastalking.com This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. With the new school year upon us, it is becoming apparent that many school officials and parents in Illinois want no part of new standards of teaching sexual education in the classroom. An overwhelming number of school districts have opted out of the curriculum. State Representative Adam Niemerg recently wrote an op-ed urging schools to reject the standards and says they are too much too soon. This is way beyond the pale of uh, what's adequate and necessary for a child to be learning in their school. Including kindergartners learning gender identity. Niemerg says the fact that school districts are saying no should send a message to the Illinois lawmakers who pass the legislation. I certainly hope so. If I was a sponsor of the bill and I saw that all schools were opting out, I think that's a very, very clear message sent to the sponsor of that particular bill. Rockford, Mundelein, and East St. Louis are three of the largest school districts to adopt the standards, while normal schools in McLean County did so for only 8th and ninth grades. Sales taxes in Illinois rank among the highest in the country. Scott Bertram has that story. That's according to new research that looked at a population-weighted average of local taxes along with the statewide rate. Catherine Lowhead with the Tax Foundation says Illinois checks in at 8.7 percent. That is notably very high compared to Illinois' surrounding states, especially Wisconsin, which has one of the lowest sales tax rates in the country. Chicago's combined rate is more than 10 percent. Lowhead says that's enough to convince some residents to travel to make purchases. So there's some cross-border shopping that does happen there, where a lot of folks in the city of Chicago make some of their larger purchases in the suburbs or even further out. Louisiana and Tennessee have the highest combined rates in the country. Five states do not have a statewide sales tax at all. I'm Scott Bertram. Summer break for students is about over, but education officials say there aren't enough teachers to begin the school year. A 2021 study by the Illinois Association of Regional Superintendents of Schools said 88% of districts report a teacher shortage. President Mark Kleisner says it has a dire situation. In terms of the grand scheme of things, we really anticipate severe shortages in the next couple of weeks. 
But Illinois report card figures show the state had more teachers in 2021 than any other year since 2012. At the same time, student enrollment declined. In 2021, the student-teacher ratio stood at 17 to 1, the lowest in the past decade. Kleisner says a recent survey showed that around 50% of teachers were thinking about quitting. Now, I don't think in the next month that half the teachers are going to walk out the door. But the fact that they're thinking about it, you know, what mindset brings them back to school? A spokesperson for the Illinois State Board of Education says an analysis of unfilled positions found they mostly affect underperforming schools. Governor J.B. Pritzker responded to recent criticisms over the Criminal Justice Reform Safety Act and the elimination of cash bail. Andrew Hensel reports. The Safety Act abolishes cash bail beginning in January 2023, overhauls police training, and includes other measures. The governor has come under fire recently as opponents of the act say it will put violent criminals back on the street. At an unrelated news conference last week, Pritzker said the measure had helped police. The Safety Act does many things that are very supportive of local law enforcement. We're providing funding, we're providing um, cameras. We're making sure that local law enforcement have the resources that they need. Pritzker said that the state of Illinois is doing the right thing. Collectively, we are doing the right thing in order to bring more public safety to the people of Illinois. We're providing the resources that local police need. Will County State's Attorney Jim Glasgow said 60 people in the Will County Jail charged with murder could be released due to the act. I'm Andrew Hunsell. As policymakers debate the so-called Inflation Reduction Act in Washington, Some are saying claims of no tax hikes are not true. The massive bill includes tax incentives to help with the transition to clean energy, provides health insurance reforms, and raises corporate taxes. Illinois Senator Dick Durbin says it is time they pay their share. The average American family is paying its taxes, as the law requires, and yet these corporations have found an escape hatch to avoid paying any taxes whatsoever. Jason Hefley, Illinois director of the organization Americans for Prosperity, says claims that anyone making less than $400,000 a year won't have their taxes raised are untrue. The Democrats uh, in Washington say they are passing the the Deficit Reduction Act, but really uh, all that we're getting is is higher taxes and more IRS agents. Hefley says the legislation would burden businesses and taxpayers while spending billions of dollars on failed health care policies and clean energy handouts. Those are the top stories of the week from Illinois. Find more online at americastalking.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler. Welcome back, everyone, to the Illinois in Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment, commentary powered by the Center Square, right here in Illinois. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, joined by my friend and colleague, executive editor of the Center Square, Mr. Daniel A. McCaleb. What up, Dan? How's it going, Chris? Recording this on August 11th, and the schools in my local school districts are already back in session. Yeah, I know. Can't believe it. Summer's flown. I'm hearing the I'm hearing the school bells ringing. So back to the good times for the kiddos, and yeah. better times for the parents. Yeah, but well, uh, both of my kids are uh, uh, have graduated high school or are off in college, and they both left today to return to their respective colleges. And my oh. wife is driving my daughter down to Sam Houston State, so I've got the house alone for the next few days. Oh boy. Oh boy! All right, I'm I'm open to an invitation. Party at Dan's house. Party at Dan's house. Um, 
Hey, Dan, I uh, saw a story earlier this week uh, on Chicago television. I believe it was the CBS uh, affiliate. Um, it really struck me as, as being kind of empty uh, regarding schools going back and teacher shortages. Now, this is a subject that I think that we've written about at the center square, you know, from the very, very beginning. And um, maybe not as much clarity around this issue as there could or should be. Do we have a teacher shortage in Illinois? Well, you know, it kind of depends on uh, who you ask. That's why the center square um, looked at the data. You referenced the, the Chicago uh, TV story with a, on their website, a um, really a huge scare headline. Illinois faces huge shortage of teachers, other academic professionals ahead of the school year. Um, well, we went in and we looked at the uh, the data, and um, um, the data from the state uh, shows that Illinois uh, has em employed more teachers that last school year than at any point in the t uh, last 10 years, and student enrollment has declined year, year over year for a number of years. Uh, the State Board of Education says that more than 99% of teacher jobs are filled, um, yet there's turnover, of course, in every business and industry. So you should expect a turnover um, uh, among teachers as well. Uh, but really, you know, and while there might be pockets of shortages in some school districts, particularly maybe some rural school districts, it, the problem is not anywhere near as huge to use the, uh, the the word used in the headline of this, this, the Chicago TV station's headline. Uh, it's not near as anywhere near as huge um, as some people, particularly teachers unions, make it out to be. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how objectively, I mean, how, how should this issue be viewed? Objectively. I mean, subjectively, I mean, you know, we look at it, we look at the numbers, um, and then we, you know, we draw our conclusions. I think, you know, I don't know a labor force uh, anywhere, businesses that, you know, that I've operated, um, businesses that I'm aware of, uh, that don't feel like they could use more people. Right. I mean, especially at the, you know, at the, at the staff, at the staff level, but I mean, objectively, is there a teacher shortage in the state of Illinois? I, I would say only in certain pockets statewide, when you have a uh, when more than ninety nine percent of jobs are filled, you know I, I guess it depends on how you view it. Um, if private businesses, you know, right now we've been talking about private businesses and the worker crisis um, in, in the private sector. If if private businesses had a ninety nine percent job fillage rate, um, they wouldn't be crying about a shortage. In fact, they'd be celebrating if they had ninety nine percent of their jobs filled. Um, so I, I would say, um, objectively, uh, there's not, there, there's not a statewide teacher shortage. Certain school districts might be short teachers. Um, but overall you can't say that there is. Yeah. So maybe if you look at it, you know, the city of Chicago, which I think represents about 20%, if not more than 20% of the open, you know, slots, uh, hireable positions, uh, dominates it. Chicago dominates it clearly. I mean, I think there's like 1,100 jobs or something, according to the report, um, which I now have in front of me from CBS. And uh, the rest of the state, you know, I mean, there are what, 
5,000 total that they say, something like that. Yeah. 5,000 total. And that, that can, and can, uh, that includes, um, you know, para, para professionals, not just in, in classroom, uh, fully certified teachers, but also support staff, um, to teachers. But here's, here's an interesting statistic from the state, from the Illinois report card. Um, uh, student enrollment, total student enrollment was 2 million in 2018. It fell to 1.9 million in 2021. So the student population is declining, but the number of teachers is rising. The current uh, student to teacher ratio um, in Illinois is 17 to 1, according to the uh, Illinois report yeah. card. I don't know about you. When I was going to school, oh, geez. we were closer to 28 to 30 students uh, per classroom. Right. 17 to 1 is not a, a very good number. And, and completely, completely manageable. I mean, you know, that's that's almost like liberal arts college classroom size. Right. You know right. I mean, now one one thing. So so when you get within uh, the teacher profession, um, there are some teacher jobs are harder to fill than others because there's fewer applicants. Um, what we what our what our investigation found um, was that there are more vacancies when it comes. Uh, to special education teachers, sure. Uh, uh, teachers uh, who work with special ed students yep. and bilingual, bilingual teachers, uh, teachers uh, who work with, for example, uh, English as a second language. Right. Um, so they so they need to be bilingual. And our youngest, manager. our youngest was in a program like that, dual language learning program. And frankly, it was uh, from the standpoint of teacher continuity, is a disaster. Um. You know, getting staff. I mean, I believe one of the years that she was involved in it, she's no longer involved in it. We pulled her out of it because of the lack of continuity, primarily. Um, there were some other factors, but I mean, that was, I think, ultimately from an education standpoint, it was just the uneven unevenness of the instruction. Um, but the one year they had three teachers uh, that had cycled through the job before the second week of school. Wow. So I, I think that I think that you've actually you know zeroed in uh, nicely on on where on where the gaps are. So if you're, uh, you know, and, and here in Illinois, I mean that those programs are almost exclusively English Spanish instruction. Right. So if you happen to have dual language skills and you want to go into education, uh, the state of Illinois is is a is a good place for you to to look because th that is. is an absolute need here. here. Here's the thing, though: those those English uh, dual language uh, teachers, the bilingual teachers, and special education teachers. If this is the private industry and there's a, a huge demand um, uh, for workers in a specific specialized field, right? What do you do? You you raise your compensation, right? Yeah. To try and attract better candidates. In Illinois, um, because we're a very union friendly state, union contracts prevent school districts from, for example, raising the wage of a dual language teacher or a special education teacher above their peers. Right. Even though they're having a hard time filling. Again, this is not a this is not a crisis situation. I think uh, uh, fewer than three percent of, uh, of, of teacher jobs in those two specific fields um, um, are, are open, okay. but it's less than one percent overall. So it's it's more in those two fields. But school districts are prevented from um, incentivizing uh, uh, people who have those skills um, from coming to their school districts 
because union contracts don't allow them to do that. Yep. Keeping it inside the schoolhouse, Dan, um, last fall, I believe it was, um, correct me if I'm wrong. When, when did we, when did we pass Senate bill 818, which was the broader sex education, uh, initiative in the legislature? I think that was this spring. I think it was okay. the spring session. So, all right. Okay. Forgive me. I was, I wasn't sure if it was, if it would have been passed as I believe it was introduced last fall. It could have been. Yes. And so at, at any rate, you know, this was a very ambitious, uh, program. I mean, I'm, and I'm being, uh, I'm, I'm being generic about that. I mean, the, uh, but the, the nature of, of this particular curriculum was to begin teaching sex ed and the details of that. I mean, you know, you can go and, and, and read it for yourself, uh, see where it aligns with your sensibilities. The broader public pushback on it was too much information to too young of an audience delivered by ultimately teachers that, you know, I mean, whereas parents uh, could, could be teaching this to their children at whatever age they chose, but school districts were being handed over the responsibility of teaching sex ed, and it was going to start per the new curriculum in kindergarten. And so they've uh, subsequently allowed the school districts around the state to determine whether or not they will teach this curriculum or adopt this curriculum, which I believe is, is, is literally, it's K to 12. I mean, it's programming, you know, uh, curriculum programming for a 12 years around around sex ed, but beginning in kindergarten, overwhelmingly school districts around the state are saying, no, thank you. Uh, correct. Essentially what happened was uh, Illinois tied um, its sex education programs um, to a new national sex education standards, which, as you said, you, you begin in kindergarten and, kin and it, 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 the, within young kids, um, uh, they'll, they'll be start teaching. If you, if you're part of this program, st start teaching about consent, gender identity, hormone blockers, things like that as young as uh, kindergarten and school districts were given the option to opt out of these, the sex education program and the overwhelming number of school districts so far have opted out. Um, what, what are they like 825 school districts in the um, state of Illinois, okay. not all of them. I think they're actually more than that, yeah. believe it or not. I think it's 850 or 854 or some odd number like that. Uh, so numbers relative to other states, we have a tremendous number of school districts. Yes. In the state that's, a topic, that's a topic for another day, uh, but we could because we could talk about that all day. Um, but of the so far, the 850, whatever it is, school districts in the state of Illinois, um, uh, 534 have opted out and only 20 school districts have opted in. So school districts across the state are rejecting them. The, 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 the gap between the, the, those numbers and the total number of school districts, some school districts haven't decided yet, or some districts haven't reported what they've decided yet. But of the ones that have reported, 534 opted out and only 20 have opted in as of the last data point that we have, which was earlier this week. You know, what that says to me when you look at those numbers is that the legislature and its understanding of what the people, you know, at home, you know, the people who have elected the legislators are 
just not on the same page with that at all. I mean, you know, that's like not even close. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's overwhelmingly rejecting something that was introduced as law in the state of Illinois. And you're seeing this across the country where parents, you know, we've written about it significantly at the centersquare.com, not just in Illinois, but in, in other states. You know, uh, uh, parents are, are fed up with this, this new woke curriculum that, um, that far leftists are, are pushing. And even the mainstream media um, um, is pushing, and the vast majority of parents are against this, and it's being reflected in these numbers that we just talked about here. Yeah, and I mean the the the, the curriculum itself. I mean, the, the, this has been implemented where else? I mean, was it California and New York? Is where this is most prevalent? Yeah, California. In terms of progressive policies, California usually, you know, is in front of the rest of the country. But this, these are national standards now um, uh, that, that came across uh, nationally. Illinois decided to adopt the national standards, but Illinois school districts want nothing to do with it. So to break it down, you're talking about the U.S. Department of Education. I I believe that's where it came from. Yes, these new national standards. Yes. Well, that would, I mean, that would make, that would make sense, right? If they're, if they're national, but gee whiz, that doesn't seem to line up very well. I think with the average Americans take on how and when sex ed content should be delivered as part of curriculum uh, inside of public slash government operated schools. Yeah. I was, you know, my kids are older now. If, if I had a kid entering kindergarten, and uh, you know, I knew about these standards, and my school district had opted in. I, I, I would not be happy about it, and I'd be letting my local school board know about it. I was talking to a neighbor who has a a, a, a child who is starting kindergarten this fall, and it, uh, boy, oh boy, was he he was bound up about this. I mean, this is just he thought it was outrageous, and you know, and 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 I'm subjectively thankful that my local school district opted out now the communication around the discussion um the consideration uh i would say is typical of most school districts i don't know how many people were aware of the fact that this was even being considered right well that's and that's one of the problems here is that um you know it, it's really been widely underreported um across the state you don't see stories whether it be local newspapers whether it be some of the metros you don't see a whole lot of reporting on it. So I'm sure there are plenty of parents who are unaware that this debate has been going on. Um, and and th- there might be plenty of parents who are surprised when, you know, when their kindergartner or first grader or second grader comes home and starts asking questions about gender identity and, uh, and things like that. Thankfully, it's just a few right now that have opted in. Pulling it back out to the state level and, um, you know, uh, continuing on, you know, with l- legislative stuff that uh, that has has been, you know, passed, um, but but, you know, not yet implemented. Um, we have not talked a whole lot on the crosstalk segment about cash bail. And um, and and that you know that part of the process, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most of the people who listen to us have never 
been in a situation where they had to think about bail for themselves. Um, but the law in Illinois is changing in 2023 uh, via legislative action. The Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity Today Act, also known as the SAFE-T Act, abolishes cash bail in the state as of January 2023. It also brings about a, a significant overhaul in police training. Um, and as our reporting uh, at the Center Square indicates, it includes some other measures. But let's focus on the cash bail portion of this. There are issues with cash bail. Um, cash bail might seem, or the abolishment of cash bail might seem like a, a humane thing to do. I mean, people who don't have um, uh, a lot of money or any money at all, they get arrested. Um, they don't. They literally don't have the money to bail themselves out. And some of these crimes are lower level crimes that they've been accused with, and 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 probably you know should be afforded the opportunity to not sit in jail. Of course, when we put someone in jail, we're paying for them to be in jail, and we're taking somebody out of society, right? So, I mean, there's, from a justice reform standpoint, there's some merit to this idea. However, in practice, what does this look like in places where they have abolished cash bail? What have we learned from other states that potentially could be foreshadowed with our decision here in Illinois? Right, so at the center square, we, Los Angeles, um, uh, for example, uh, went, uh, with an experiment of no cash bail. They have since ended it, and here's here's why. In the year or 15 months that Los Angeles had no cash bail, uh, they saw 649 people who were released on their own recognizance, meaning um, they didn't have to post bail before their, their case was adjudicated, meaning before they went to trial, uh, before um, they were convicted or found innocent, whichever. 649 people were rearrested for committing new crimes while they were out on bail. Two we found had committed five or had been rearrested five times or more in just 15 months. So what you're doing is you're releasing alleged criminals on their own recognizance uh, and they're going out there and committing new crimes, which means there are new victims. So you're essentially re-victimizing um, taxpayers or re-victimizing, you know, voters uh, in your communities. And um, the experiment ended June 30th, and they decided not to extend it uh, on July 1st. So Los Angeles, a uh, very blue city, very Democratic-run city with a very liberal um, prosecutor, um, decided not to renew that, whereas Illinois is going into its experiment, although this is permanent. There's no time frame on this unless legislators um, vote to rescind the law um, beginning January 1st. Uh, in the vast majority of cases, um, uh, arrested individuals were, regardless of the crime, violent crime, you know, breaking and entering, things like that, mm -hmm. will not have to post bail uh, to be released from jail um, while their case works its way through the court system. And the state's, state's attorneys across Illinois the vast majority, 90 plus percent, oppose this and are worried what it's going to mean for crime in their communities. Well, and that's, that seems pretty reasonable. I mean, yeah. the, the concern seems reasonable anyway. 
But this week, um, Governor Pritzker, uh, when asked about it and the concern that the state's attorneys have about it, he defended uh, he defended the, the, the law, including the no cash bail, um, um, essentially saying uh, uh, that uh, requiring cash bail um, predominantly affects lower income and, and minority communities who can't afford um, to pay the bail. So it's somehow racist. Um, and, uh, uh, so we'll see, you know, I'm not looking forward to see what happens because I, I very much suspect what we're going to see in Illinois is what Los Angeles, uh, experienced. You, you keep your fingers crossed, but that's no way to run a state. Right. And I mean, within that, so within that safety act, if you, you know, if you've been following this story at all, you might've also heard of this referred to as the pretrial fairness act, the state's attorney's. Um, you know, effectively, the, the, the top law enforcement agent uh, in each county around the state of Illinois, they are not psyched about this at all. No. Oh, no. They're deeply, deeply concerned about the, uh, the recidivism rate. And, 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 and uh, you commit a crime, you're, you're arrested. Um, generally, there's a process. You have to post um, a bail bond um, to guarantee that you're going to show up for court. If you can't, you remain in jail as the court case uh, uh, works its way through the system. But this is going to be more accused criminals are going to be let loose. And some of them, what number we don't know, some of them are going to commit more crimes against people in their communities. Now, there, there is some discretion in it, but it's very narrow. Judges would have dis the discretion to require bail um, for individuals who are deemed to pose an immediate threat to a specific individual. Um, and the example that was given um, was if you um, uh, kill your wife and you're charged with mur the murder of your wife, well, you're not going to harm your wife anymore. She's dead. So you don't have to post, post cash bail. Now, if you severely injure your wife, if you beat your wife, um, and uh, uh, put her in a hospital or something like that. Well, you could still pose a threat to her because she's not dead yet. But as long as she's dead, you don't pose a threat to her, so you'll be released without bond. Oh, I get that completely. Yeah, that 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 makes that makes all the sense in the world. And thanks for outlining that uh, for me. Um, you know, it's it's, it's uh, the the more you know. Uh, I, I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And the idea that like, you know, that you could be charged, you know, with, with homicide and, um, and not have to post bail. Um, wow. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's bananas. Yeah. Previously in those instances, um, you, you bail would be a million dollars or more when homicide when you're talking about homicide and that seems pretty reasonable i mean yeah. uh, you know for the for the severity of the crime i mean you take another person's life i mean it should cost you a hundred thousand dollars to to get yourself out on the street you know 10 10 percent of the of the you know of 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 the uh of the of the amount you know which bail is set um i don't think that there should be a hundred percent discount on getting on out crime. of jail no, right on a, on a homicide charge and it's it's not as if we live in a in a state where that's not an actual problem. Um, you know, the murder count in Chicago is it's heinous. I mean, it's a it's a it's a 
It is what we are known for on some level globally. Beautiful architecture, fantastic restaurants, and murder. Sadly, that's that's the case. And, and so, so this is before, you know, and this, of course, is before this new law, uh, cash, cashless bail goes into effect. Um, you know, it's it's only going to get worse after the fa- after that. Right. Your advice to murderers is to hold off until January. <laughs> he said that. I didn't say that. Well, I I'm being completely facetious, but I, I know. Mean, I know. You, um, uh, in fact, l- let me be clear. Stop killing people. I mean, that's my message in in general to Illinois, but very specifically to Chicago. Let's just stop killing people. Um, and and how about we just trim the crime back, period? You know, we still have a massive carjacking problem in the city. That almost goes unreported now because it's just commonplace. It's just, you know, it's just part of the deal. Um, you know, our, our, uh, our unwillingness to, um, uh, to, uh, uh, adhere to standards of, of, of citizenship and, and good morality in the state are, are fairly well documented by our murder counts and our crime rate stats. Um, so I guess I, what I'm asking is, in all seriousness, knock it off. Please uh, do. But I'm sure, that, I'm sure that that'll get through, that that was the, that was the message and the voice that, that needed to be heard that's going to change everything. I'm guessing um, I'm, I'm guessing the folks that commit commit these violent acts aren't frequent frequent listeners of the crosstalk se- uh, segment of Illinois in Focus. Podcast. It's all the more reason to subscribe and to share. Um, but yeah, thanks uh, for the opportunity. To, you can do that. You can do that at americastalking.com. Yeah, go to americastalking.com. There's lots of good podcasts there. Um, Dan, um, tell me about this federal report. Regarding unemployment fraud um, that specifically calls out Illinois as having not done a super great job of addressing it. Yeah. So, of course, at the beginning of the the COVID-19 pandemic, when Governor Pritzker um, uh, uh, ordered people to stay at home, uh, closed small businesses and other medium-sized businesses that he he deemed non-essential. Um, unemployment obviously spiked, and more than spiked. You know, a ten percent increase or a twenty percent increase is a spike. It was more than you know, it was hundreds of thousands, uh, more than a million Illinoisans lost their jobs during the the peak of the pandemic. Um, and of course, that means um, you have to you file for unemployment benefits, right? Well, what we saw in Illinois, what we saw across the country too. This was um, uh, uh, this was a scenario that fraudsters could take advantage of. You and I were victims or attempted yes, victims of yes. any of unemployment and, and so, fraud. And so, were, and so were our wives. And yeah. uh, and I think that the you know a good number of our of our coworkers, friends, peers, and people that we don't even really know, but who know us and have reached out to us, you know, via email or have called and left messages, also were victimized by attempts. To right. uh, to file a fraudulent claim under their name, well, and you're in my case. Thankfully, it was just an attempt. They were not successful, but in many, many, many cases, fraudsters were successful. And the state paid out. We well, well in Illinois, we don't know, 
uh, how much the state paid out. And that's what this report is about, critical of Illinois for not reporting how much fraud it paid out. Um, but we know from states across the country, I think uh, it, there, there was billions of dollars in fraud, meaning taxpayer dollars were paid to people who didn't qualify for unemployment benefits. We don't know what that figure is in Illinois, um, yet wh while we know it in most other states, um, and, and we, we don't know what Illinois is doing to claw back uh, those dollars, to try and go after those fraudsters um, who scammed state government um, and took our taxpayer money that they didn't deserve. Well, uh, and I'll add this log to that fire. If you, we think back to, to the wonderful, wonderful COVID days, you know, where we were all in shutdown, living inside of our homes or our apartments and basically you know, forced to stay inside. One detail that I will not forget, and I'm not going to let up on this, is that the Illinois Department of Employment Securities closed its offices with no ability to work remotely as they might in person. They had systems problems. When the surge of unemployment came in, we were woefully unprepared to handle it, the volume. And because of the nature of unemployment dollars and the connectivity of those dollars moving from the federal government through the state as part of what was going on at the time, we got way behind. Yeah. I mean, way behind. And in fact, it was the Illinois Department of Employment Securities, I believe, was the last Illinois agency to return to work. And the, the driver behind that was one act of perceived violence against the Illinois Department of Employment Securities where someone threw, I don't know what it was, manhole cover. I mean, that must have been like the Incredible Hulk or a parking meter top or a trash can or something through a window meanwhile how many windows were broken during you know during the 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 uh absolute mayhem of 2020 but we locked down the illinois department of employment securities for a very long time relative to all other agencies and all other work resuming and that couldn't have helped no, and there's actually another tentacle to this, this same story, too. Illinois was just one of a handful of states because of its its poor fiscal uh, policies over decades was only one of a, a few states that a handful of states that had to borrow money from the federal government to pay for these massive number of unemployment games, uh, unemployment claims during, during the early months um, of the pandemic. And the state still owes the federal government $1.8 billion um, for, for that borrowed money to pay down those unemployment, unemployment claims. So to say um, that, yeah, Illinois completely mismanaged um, this everything about uh, its un unemployment process and system, uh, that would be an understatement. Well, and sometimes, you know, I mean, understating is, uh, you know, is, is, is simply polite uh, in this case. Um, let's just kick politeness uh, out the door for a second. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a failure that we're still paying for right now. Yeah. So we didn't do such a hot job with that. And tell us how much fraud there was. Come on. And tell us what you've done to fix it. Yeah.
I mean, that'd be nice to know. I mean, we paid for it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, that's, I mean, that's the part of this that I think that should be driving most Illinoisans up the wall is, is that the accountability around, you know, what does and doesn't happen, what goes right and what goes wrong, um, the transparency around that particular office and what that office did and what they committed, you know, I mean, the dollars that were paid out, as you said, where, where's the clawback effort? I think you know, my understanding was that we were, as a state, we're just throwing our hands up in the air saying, well, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do about it. It's gone. Uh, I believe Governor J.B. Pritzker said something to that effect either earlier this year or last year. So it's it's a it's as if there is a hole in the bucket. We know there's a hole in the bucket, but we don't know where the hole in the bucket is, and we couldn't patch it in real time. And right now, we're I guess we're, maybe we're just not interested in figuring out what the mystery was because, hey, you know what? There's always more tax dollars that we could put into the bucket at the top. Don't worry about the holes in the side or the bottom or, you know, the, yeah. the, the whole, the whole lack of transparency over this whole thing is is outrageous and taxpayers should be outraged. Yeah. I mean, that you know, between that and the PPP program, I mean, you know, people are looking at, you know, gas prices that are still hanging out around four dollars and fifty cents at a lot of pumps where we are. Um, some of the other, you know, issues that exist in the economy, all that connection ties back to stimulus and things like this. This this program in particular where people were I mean the, the, the federal number Dan is unsettling, right? I mean if and, and if Illinois is worse on a percentage basis than this, but the federal government says that it paid $3.6 billion in uh, in claims, of which the federal government believes $1.9 billion of that was fraudulent. So more than, you know, one of every $2 that went out went to someone who shouldn't have been getting it. Right. And probably somebody that isn't even in the United States. I mean, that's the other part of this, is that... Yeah. If, you, if you have, our, the listeners remember during the pandemic, uh, the federal government, Congress... Um, um, enhanced unemployment benefits while so many people were out of work because of government decisions putting people out of work. Um, so they, uh, uh, on top of the state unemployment benefits, the federal government paid people. And as you just said, they determined that the, in terms of the federal government's uh, enhanced unemployment benefits, more than half were fraudulent. Um, so you've got to expect Illinois to be something similar, right? Even well, if it's a little bit lower. If they're getting called out, I'm assuming it's worse. Yeah, right. I mean, we we need to verify that, but I mean, wouldn't that be the reasonable conclusion to draw if Illinois is on the is on the you know is the poster child for not doing it right at the federal level? Yeah. And if we already know that the federal numbers are you know quite literally more than half of every uh, of every dollar that went out went out to someone who didn't deserve it, then where does that leave Illinois? Right. I mean, that's probably a story that that people who are running the state of Illinois would prefer not to talk about. Because and they aren't. Because we ask regularly. Our center square, Greg's, Greg Bishop, asks regularly and um, stonewalled. Well, thanks for nothing, uh, as they say. It is an absolutely gorgeous day here, by the way, in suburban Chicago. It's probably 72 degrees. The humidity's down. And Kevin Bessler, intrepid reporter, is telling me 
that I've got to buckle down for winter <laughs> as per the farmer's almanac. Um, story on a lighter note. However, it's not looking like it's going to be a lighter winter, brother. Is it ever? Come on. No, it's true. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. So, so uh, Kevin Bessler, this uh, Kevin Bessler, a reporter uh, this week, um, uh, dug into that, talked to the folks uh, who monitor the, the Farmers Almanac, and their prediction is is for a pretty severe January, February, and maybe even into uh, March. Uh, his line here: the public publication is warning readers that this winter will be filled with plenty of shaking, shivering, and shoveling. The three shoes. I got another S word that I'd like to toss in there, but it's not FCC compliant. So I will pass. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, one of the, one of the refrains, you know, that, that is often tossed about uh, with regard to Illinoisans deciding that they've had enough and they're not taking it anymore and they're going somewhere else is the weather. The weather's a factor. But as you're sitting in your house this winter and it's potentially minus 20 degrees because the polar vortex has decided to return, my prediction for you is going to be pain. The heating costs are not slowing down. And I don't know if you if you caught a look at your electric bill from the last month. I just I just paid mine. You know, I get I I mean, of course, I get um, I've, I've gone paperless, you know, which is great except for the fact that you have no understanding of like what it is you're paying for, but Holy cow, my electricity bill is about 40% more. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm spitballing than I paid a year ago for the same period of time. Yeah. See me too. All summer. Um, every time the, the new electricity bill comes in, I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's it's it, well. The cost of all energy is up significantly um, in the past couple of years, year and a half, couple of years, yeah. and um, we expect uh, you know for those who heat their homes with natural gas, you know, it's going to be more expensive. Last year, this past winter was expensive. It's going to be more expensive this next winter than it was last winter. Well, you might have to go back to selling your own plasma to kind of keep pace with it. We could go on and on about the federal government's policies that are driving up those costs, uh, too. And of course, you know, we, we were talking about the severe winter that Farmers All Magazine has predicted. It is nice. It is August. You don't want to think about winter, but let's face it, uh, winter is coming. Well, and you could talk about the bigger, broader issues related to energy on the America in Focus podcast with Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief Casey Harper. At some point in time, maybe Casey can get to the bottom of that. But, you know, for us here in Illinois, we're just, I guess we'll just uh, sit down, shut up and take it. I'm sure our uh, elected representatives in Springfield are all over it. There's no question. There's no question. I mean, now that they've passed the, you know, the sex ed for kindergartners bill and no cash bail, I mean, they can move on to lesser things like, uh, you know, the cost of heating people's homes. Dan, we've run out of time and clearly I've, I've lost your attention. So we will put a pin in it for this week. It's always great to spend time with you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it as always, Chris. Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Crosstalk segment commentary powered by the Center Square. Now over to 
Kevin Bessler for a look at what the center square will be working on next week. Next week, we'll get reaction from the Inflation Reduction Act and a vote in the House on Friday and its impact on Illinois. Also, many school districts and Illinois colleges begin their semester next week. We'll get an update on how the upcoming school year is looking. This has been Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Kevin Bessler.